0: everyone. Welcome to Sick in the City, where Amanda and Mel, two sick chicks spilling the tea on chronic illness. We have a really interesting and informative episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking all about SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. We have an interview with a best-selling author, Phoebe Lapine, and we are really, really excited to have her tell us all about SIBO, uh, what causes it, what you can do to treat it. And uh, Mel and I also have experience in dealing with that, so we're really excited to to jump in. So, hey, Mel, how's it going today? <laughs> We're both having such a day right
1: now. We are. We had to take some deep breaths and do some like shaking it off right before we started (laughs) because it's pouring rain first off. It's like not good vibes for podcast recording today. No. When it rains, it pours. Literally. Oh, in all aspects of life. And both of us are just very busy and a little stressed and a little flary. So hey, we're here to be honest, laying it Mm -hmm. all out there. But we're going to try and hit you guys with all the information today. We have both dealt with SIBO. I dealt with SIBO mm-hmm. for five years, and this shit is hard to get rid of.
0: Yeah, it and is. It
1: can totally wreak havoc on like so many different parts of your body and your illness in general. So like, we're excited to dive in. But the one exciting thing that I did want to mention before we start is that I'm in week two of my course the everybody program that i started
0: so Um, exciting
1: oh it's been a whirlwind and i've been like working on this since november like because we moved here and then i immediately kind of was like i need to start focusing on this and diving in and it's a 12-week course and there's so much information that's just all about how to transition to like a healing lifestyle to help you heal your gut and strengthen the immune system and just like bring down inflammation in the body to allow your autoimmune disease to really like go into remission or, mm-hmm. you know, ease, ease up from any chronic symptoms you might be experiencing. So right. it's a big, it's a big feat that I have now accomplished. And I don't think that it hit me until I had our first zoom call last week with my students and something that I asked all of them to do was to share their story and just be honest and be vulnerable and give them a safe space to tell their story. Because a lot of people, especially when you're starting off on the in this lifestyle, mm-hmm. you haven't had an opportunity to be in a judgment-free zone with people who really understand and listen. Right. And that was something that I always wanted was just to be able to speak my truth and be honest and, and express how I was feeling without anybody ready to like jump down my throat with, with questions or, or, you know, uh, disbelief. So everybody kind of stepped up and in the zoom call, they were so vulnerable and brave and like told their stories and what brought them to me and the program. And I sat there and watched all of them talk to each other and Adorable. I just had like a total out of body experience realizing like that community I knew would be such a huge part of what I wanted to do. But I didn't understand how it would feel when I actually saw it.
0: Right. Like bringing happening. people together who are dealing with chronic illness, which is huge. What yeah. are you guys covering in week two? Cause I know each week of your program is separated out to cover different topics, right? So what are you in now? So we're still in lesson
1: one. So the first two weeks are really all about transitioning to more of like a healing diet. So Mm -hmm. we kind of use paleo as a guidelines, but slowly transitioning out of eating gluten and dairy and soy and processed sugar, like a lot of inflammatory foods. So I walk them through that, but then I also walk them through like a positive mindset for healing. So a lot of people, especially if you've been dealing with symptoms for years and years and years, it's so hard to keep the faith, to keep the hope alive of like, healing being possible. So the past week and a half, they've all been doing their like mantras. Um, so I helped them create their own little like mantras that they can speak to themselves in the mirror. Um, especially if they're dealing with a flare or something. Mm -hmm. And I told them don't underestimate the power of your mantra, because if you are flaring and, and one of the girls actually texted me last night that she was dealing with this pain in her abdomen she woke up and was like terrified she was dying like, pain and she said she just did her mantra for like five minutes straight and it went away the pain went away oh my and god
0: that's incredible I know I was so you're excited. changing lives
1: it's unbelievable oh. I want to know what your mantra is mine is I am healthy I am strong I can do anything I want that's pretty good. It's Thank
0: pretty you. Good it's pretty good. <laughs> I, mine is I'm okay. Or I say you're okay. So that's usually when I'm either having a panic attack or if I'm dealing with depersonalization, that's how yeah. I ground myself. I'm just like, you're okay. It's okay. And Rob will hear me talking to myself and he's like, it's okay. Everything's <laughs> going to be okay. I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. No,
1: you have to have something like that. That's going to yeah. kind of ground you back into your body and, yeah. and help you from freaking out. And being more stressed because stress just continues to fuel the fire of the problem. Yep. And so being able to calm yourself down is such a huge, huge thing, especially when you're dealing with chronic symptoms. So it's, it's really exciting. And I, I'm just, I can't believe we're only 10 days
0: into it. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, what's it going to be like at the end of three months? I'm just yes. so excited. And it's just and- going to be a wild, wild ride for you. And I think, you know, what a great lead into our topic today because we are talking about SIBO, which is chronic symptoms. And like you said, it can take a really long time to get rid of it. And one of the things that I think is really interesting and and just fascinating about SIBO in general, and we'll kind of go into what it is, but a lot of people who are chronically ill, whether it's autoimmune, whether it's mold, or whether it's Lyme disease, they usually either end up with SIBO, have SIBO as sort of one of the root causes, end up with SIBO along the way because of treatment. So it really affects so many people within the chronic illness community. So I think we should, I think, dig in a little bit to what SIBO is for anyone that doesn't, doesn't know.
1: Yeah. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth.
0: It's is a mouthful.
1: It, it is. <laughs> Everybody just calls it SIBO because we're like, let's not dive into the details. But the short story is that your small intestine should not have bacteria present in it. Most of your bacteria should be, if not all of your bacteria should be in your large intestine. And what happens with SIBO is that that bacteria, both bad and good can creep into your small intestine and I'll let Amanda kind of take it from here for, from her, like, you know, grad school nutrition <laughs>
0: <laughs> books. Yes, my, yeah, it's my <laughs> clinical perspective. So, so the reason why this really impacts the, the small intestine and why this impacts digestion and health is that. While all of the bacteria, about 700 different strains of bacteria live in the large intestine, and that really makes up your gut microbiome, which is when you hear a lot about the gut and probiotics and all these different things that you sort of hear about, you always hear about the health of the microbiome. The small intestine, on the other hand, really is the home to all of our enzymes. So, um, lipase is one. And What the small intestine does is 90% of our digestion takes place in the small intestine. So when you're starting to get the bacteria in there, the bacteria is feeding on your food. Instead of having the enzymes break the food down, such as protein, fat, and, and carbohydrates, and then it begins to go to different parts of your body and you're able to use the vitamins and minerals that way. Instead, the bacteria actually feeds on the food. And so then a lot of people that have SIBO become deficient. They Mm -hmm. lack nutrients. They are unable to digest their food. So they become really bloated and Mm -hmm. distended with their stomachs and have a lot of pain. And that's really just the mechanical piece that's happening. And I mean, there's so many causes of it, right? I mean, it Mm -hmm. it could be anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately digestive issues go hand in hand with all kinds of chronic illness. And something that Phoebe actually does mention in her book is that 60% of all IBS diagnoses are actually just SIBO. Like if you deal with any digestive uncomfortability for the most part, It can Mm -hmm. be from the bacteria that is in your small intestine and shouldn't be there because what happens when the bacteria is feeding on the undigested food, it creates gases in your small intestine that aren't supposed to be there that can cause really, really painful gas and bloating. And for me, I was, I think (laughs) the worst, the worst days were the days where I would go eat like hummus at like a, like an Indian food or something with friends. Cause there's so much garlic and like chickpeas. And those are some very like not friendly foods for people with SIBO. And I would get into the car and like have, the worst painful gas of my life. And it's like, it's like, I would have to like, Oh, like hold my whole body, like in pain to get to the car, just to be like, let loose and be like,
0: Oh, like it just hurts so bad. And it's so painful to be that, that gassy. And And one of the things that Phoebe said also, which to your point about having hummus is that no matter what the food is, because all that digestion of every single uh, macronutrient takes place within the small intestine, there's nothing, maybe water is the only Mm -hmm. thing that you can actually have without it causing some pain because you're just in complete and total gut dysbiosis, like nothing, it's just not working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like when your food isn't getting broken down properly because of the bacteria that can cause things like leaky gut, you know, like leaky gut can go hand in hand with SIBO mold can go hand in hand with SIBO. When I first was diagnosed with mold toxicity, my doctor was like, oh, well that's the reason we can't get rid of SIBO because I couldn't get rid of it until like I made sure my entire small intestine was clean, was clear. And so it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, does the chicken come before the egg? We don't know like what comes first, but for the most part, if you're dealing with digestive discomfort and food sensitivities and gas and bloating, it's safe to assume you might be dealing with SIBO. And it's definitely something that you should get checked out if you are questioning it, because there are ways to treat it. There are a lot of natural ways, whether it be changing your diet or adding an herbal, like anti-microbial and anti-fungal supplements. But the way that you get tested, I'm not sure. Did you ever get tested for SIBO?
0: I, I haven't gotten tested for SIBO. I believe that I had it when I was dealing with my treatment for Lyme. So when I first, went through my treatment, which we spoke about on the last episode with Britt, I went through, I think three months of antibiotics. And so I ended up having a pretty, I mean, my gut was destroyed. And, you know, one of the things that happens to anyone that is dealing with IBS or dealing with leaky gut or any issues, if you go to majority of doctors or practitioners, they're gonna to say to you, get on a probiotic, right? Like. That's all that we hear get on a probiotic. Probiotics are good. Take more, take more, take more. And in this scenario, probiotics actually hurt you because you're adding more bacteria, right? Instead of taking it away. And so to your point of taking antimicrobial herbs or taking antibacterial, those are so important because they're actually killing the bacteria. So I just think it's a really good point to bring up that when, People need to be careful that probiotics are not a cure-all. And so for me, when I was healing my gut from the antibiotics, I started overdoing it on fermented food, on probiotics, and that is actually the opposite of what you should do to to heal it. So to answer your question, I did not get tested for it, but I do know that I had it. So were, were you tested? How did they test for it?
1: Yes. So the only test for SIBO is a breath test. So Mm. it sounds really weird, but they actually give you these little like plastic bags with a tube that's attached and you have to breathe into it. Like every two hours, you have like six different bags. You breathe into it throughout the whole day, because depending on when you're eating or what you're eating levels of the bacteria can be higher. The way the breath test works is that it's registering gases, in your Hmm. breath and so you're either going to be methane or hydrogen dominant and depending on which you're higher in that's what a naturopath or a doctor will be able to prescribe certain like antimicrobials or probiotics to you depending on which gases are present because that helps them understand which bacteria is present so for me i was high in both so mm-hmm. of we course. really, of course, always, um, but you're typically higher in one or another, and that can kind of help you figure out diet as well, because as you're going through SIBO recovery, it is going to take a long time for those antimicrobials to really kill off that bad bacteria. So to avoid symptoms for a temporary period of time, most people will be on a low FODMAP diet, which FODMAP stand for like a whole bunch of sugars that are present. What is it? Right. It's like oligosaccharides and disaccharides and all those like crazy. Yeah. I mean, all <laughs> of
0: my nutrition training and education is not going to ever help me be able to <laughs> pronounce that word, but well, I I think that that's so cool that it's tested by a breath test. I mean, I'm just over here, science nerd, nutrition nerd, but when I was tested for lactose intolerance back when I was 14, that's how they did a test. They they fed you this glass of some sort of drink, and then you had to blow in something every few hours. You're there all day. It's, a, yeah. it's an all day affair. It was horrible. And because, you know, I was lactose intolerant. You get so gassy and uncomfortable. Like they're giving you milk and you're like, yes. Oh, I've never heard of milk. Anyway, same type of type of thing. And so low FODMAP is the diet that people usually recommend for patients who are dealing with SIBO, but also patients who have IBS. Now I feel that you could probably walk into a room of people and I would say mainly women, but just people in general. And you can say who has been diagnosed with IBS and like 75% of the room will raise their hand. That is the diagnosis that people usually get for any stomach issue that they have. It's very much, I liken it to fibromyalgia for Mm -hmm. Lyme, mold, everything. You have fibromyalgia, here's an antidepressant. You You have a stomach ache, you have
1: IBS. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean it's basically like Oprah handing out diagnosis in, in her Christmas episode,
0: like, like you get this, you get that, <laughs> you get IBS, you get fibro, <laughs> you get both. It's it's so so I think that people need to just think a little bit deeper, right? Always be like, I might have something a little bit more. Low FODMAP is usually prescribed for people who have IBS or who have SIBO. I am f- very familiar with it, but I have chosen even as someone who suffered with stomach issues most of my life to not do it, but I believe that you have, right? So, so what, what does that entail? What can you not eat? Let's put it that oh God, way. There's so
1: much you can't eat. And I've only ever found one graph online that really worked with my symptoms. Mm-hmm. So the weird thing about low FODMAP is that it's also not black and white. Like they'll tell you, you can eat, like one eighth of an avocado, and that's still low FODMAP, but half of an avocado is high FODMAP and you can't eat that. Oh and then God. there's like things and rules about chocolate or bananas. So like overly ripe bananas are considered high FODMAP, but
0: if they're so kind of green and not ripe, right. you can eat them. They're right because FODMAP. of the because of the sugar content, which exactly. it, it makes sense, but I've never done it personally because I just love food. And I felt I I just couldn't, it was too complicated for Mm -hmm. me personally. So instead I would muscle test my foods and be very, very specific about the type of stuff I was eating, because there's also contradictory information in low FODMAP, which we do talk about a little bit with Phoebe, for example, garlic is, is medicine, right? So when you crush garlic, it releases something called allicin. And allicin acts as a pain reliever. So it can, it's literally Tylenol. Um, Mm. It's like the natural form of Tylenol. And it also can be used to kill bacteria within the stomach. And it's like an immune booster. It helps to get all that bad stuff out. But garlic is one of the worst things you can possibly have on, on low FODMAP, right?
1: Yeah, it's one of the highest FODMAP foods. Like garlic straight up feeds that bacteria and like gives you the worst gas in the history of the world, garlic and onions. So it's it's really difficult because there's a lot of seasonings you can't use like I remember right. struggling to have things like fajitas because all it is is like garlic and onion and
0: peppers and
1: right. so right I'm Italian
0: get- I won't give up garlic I won't <laughs> I don't I sweat it out I know I put garlic on everything if anybody follows my recipes <laughs> yeah no it's, I'm sorry It's one of the healthiest foods you can possibly
1: eat like Justin's mm-hmm. mom my boyfriend's mom used to joke every time he would get sick she would be like, just like throw a garlic bulb in your smoothie. And I was like, huh? Yeah, just eat a garlic bulb every day and it's going to help you get better. And I'm so I tried it once. I put like a whole garlic bulb yeah. in a smoothie I gave him and I, thinking I would mask the flavor it, of it. Like there's no yeah. way he's going to taste this, but he gets it and he's
0: like, it's straight up garlic smoothie. Yeah. This is the most disgusting it's, you've ever had. Yeah, it's not cute <laughs> in a smoothie. The problem is that you do need to have it in its raw form for it really to get all of those ingredients. So what I tell, tell clients is because I have actually tried to just eat straight garlic. I have done that, um, for my pain. What I tell people to do is to crush it up raw Uh and spread it on a piece of toast with some oil, or if you do butter, you know, vegan butter, whatever it is, or I do a lot of raw recipes in terms of sauces. Mm -hmm. So I will use it in a dressing or a sauce in the blender or the food processor. And then you're getting the benefits of the raw because there's still benefits of having it cooked, but it's not, it's, it's not the same. So I just want to make that clear that I, when I'm putting garlic spice on things, it's great, but it's not as good as if, if you're having it raw.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is that unfortunately it's so good for you, but it's high FODMAP and it causes awful symptoms when you're dealing with SIBO. And so the treatment though, I had to take an allicin supplement every day just for the allison because mm-hmm. that's not what gives you the gas. It's really the okay. proteins and the properties and the garlic that feed the bacteria. So it's, it's such a weird, it's not black and white. And like, mm-hmm. I I'll actually like link the graph that I have that I really like in our episode notes, because I struggled for so long to find the right kind of diet that fit my needs. Sure. And once I did, I stuck with it for like a full year. And it's not like it's going to cure you, but it's going to help you deal with the symptoms and make Mm -hmm. your life a little bit more easier. Bloating,
0: less pain. And some, you know, some antimicrobial herbs that I know just off the top of my head would be basil oregano is another one. So here I am just making a pizza. <laughs> don't don't no. mind me. But one of the best antimicrobials is co- raw coconut oil. Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know if people if people know that, but you know, making sure that you get some of that, you can spread that on your toast with your raw garlic <laughs> and just get, get it all in there on right. your toast. <laughs> right. What are what are some other things that are done for treatment of SIBO? It's tricky
1: because I feel like everybody is so different. Um so I took a few supplements. I took um allicin, which was a I think a supplement called Alamax that I still keep around even as if I'm dealing with like an infection or something mm-hmm. I'll pop one, you know, get some good benefits. But that bitch is expensive. Let me I'm tell sure. you. A whole bottle of Alamax is like $120. Yeah, well, they
0: have to exc- they have to take the Allison out of the guy. That's not easy. No, to do.
1: I wonder how many pieces of garlic are used to make a bottle of Alamax. Like probably thousands. I'm sure a lot. Because I why bet. A lot. in the world would it be that expensive otherwise? But dude, it's great. It's really powerful. And at the end of the day, I think I also took neem and mm, berberine. Okay. Okay. Um, yep. And then did low fodmap. But I started getting so desperate because even my applied kinesiologist was like, why can't we get rid of SIBO? She's like, you're the first person I've ever worked with that like has not been able to get rid of SIBO. And it was just so frustrating. And I know that mold was a big part of it because I was still living in that mold. I couldn't get rid of the SIBO. And so you kind of have to address a lot of different root causes If you're not able to get rid of it with just the basics that a naturopath or, or holistic practitioner might give you. So if you're still struggling to find answers and find healing, a few of the things that I did that really helped me was actually doing intermittent fasting um, Mm -hmm. for a period of time, I think for like six months, maybe I did it.
0: How did you, how did you do IF? Did you do a certain time period through the day? I know some people will go 24 hours. There's a lot of different ways to, to fast and get the benefits of fasting.
1: Yeah. So I did the 16, eight, rule, I think.
0: um, Right. Which is eating eight, fasting for 16, which is basically eating 12 to eight during the day, or you stop eating after dinner. Don't eat until, you know, around 12, 11, 12, depending on what time you stop eating. Yes. Um, I
1: started off with that just to see if my body could handle it because if you're dealing with blood sugar dysregulation, Intermittent fasting is not going to help you. It's going to make you feel worse. It's going to make your symptoms worse because your body's going to be stressed. Like not everybody can handle intermittent fasting. And I want to start with that because I think you kind of have to ease into it and see Mm -hmm. how you feel. And if you're feeling kind of like dizzy, just pay attention. If you don't feel good, don't do it. But I felt really good. There's year. actually,
0: there's actually apps and we can, and we can put some of them in that you can, it it does all the work for you, the different mm-hmm. types of fasting and it'll do it. I will also call out, as you said, that they're not, it's not for everybody. I actually don't like women who have hormone issues to do something like intermittent fasting. If you have adrenal fatigue, it's not for you. If you are dealing with cortisol issues, it's not for you. It works a lot better for men, unfortunately, as per life, um, when it comes to dieting and everything like that. So just, I would probably talk to your practitioner before you think about doing something like IF that's just yeah my personal.
1: Yeah, opinion. for sure. And the reason, the main reason it worked for me is because it gave my body more time to clear that bacteria from my mm-hmm. small intestine, because when we're not eating our brain activates something called our MMC, which is our migrating motor complex. And that only gets activated if you have been fasting for an hour and a half. So like after you've eaten a meal, Mm -hmm. an hour and a half goes by and your MMC will kind of like turn back on and your muscles and your digestive system will start moving things along. So Mm -hmm. that's, I'll also recommend that people only eat every like two hours, like between meals snacking can be really dangerous with people when people have SIBO because Mm -hmm. if you're eating every hour, your MMC never has time to like clear and like move things along. So I'll highly recommend like at least two hours in between every time you put something in your mouth because your body needs that time to just clear anything from each like stage of your digestive system. So I started just extending the period of time between meals and then extending the period of time between my dinner and my breakfast. And I noticed a huge, huge improvement. And, and I actually felt so much better, which I was not expecting at all because I did not think my body was going to handle fasting, but I had done so much work on balancing my blood sugar that I could handle it. And then it really was helpful. But unfortunately, that didn't cure me either. Um, It just kind of helped me feel better between the time that I was dealing with it until I figured out what really was the thing that cured me. The thing that really helped me finally get rid of SIBO was DNRS when I did Hmm. the dynamic neural retraining system. Interesting. It was the last thing I ever expected that that would cure me of that because I had tried every single thing in the book, all of the supplements, the diet, the fasting, like for years and years and years and could not get rid of it. And then six weeks into me doing my DNRS practice, I went to my applied kinesiologist and she muscle tested me that I did not have SIBO anymore.
0: Wow. That's so fascinating. Why do you think that is? Because you relaxed your nervous system?
1: Yes. So with DNRS, your brain allows your body to access your parasympathetic nervous system. So it takes you out of fight or flight, that chronic stressed state. And it allowed my digestive system to actually do its work. It allowed Mm -hmm. it to really calm down my muscles, my system, and that MMC to be strong enough to keep that bacteria out of my small intestine. I did not expect that in a million years, but what a blessing. And like, Mm -hmm. that goes back to the point of really addressing all aspects of health, right? Mind, body, spirit, because you can be doing everything with your diet, everything with the doctor, all the supplements, thousands and thousands of dollars. And at the end of the day, if you're still stressed out of your mind, it's yeah. not going to get better. And Sometimes you can be stressed and not even realize it. And that's what was going on with me and my subconscious, which is why DNRS was such a big game changer for me. And I know we haven't gone into too much detail about this program, but we plan to in the future. And if you haven't heard of it, definitely Google the dynamic neural retraining system that was created by Annie Hopper. Uh, And I have a link on that somewhere, I think in my bio, but it was a game changer for me. And that really was What helped me get to that next stage of healing when things just finally started coming into balance? And, and I was on a probiotic for like three years to help with that specific kind of SIBO I was on that because I did the breath test, my doctor was able to understand which probiotics I needed to kind of weigh out the bad. And so I was on that for three or four years. And as, after I did DNRS, I was able to get off of them. Like my system was telling me like, girl, we don't need this anymore. And I haven't been taking probiotics in like six months, which I can't say I've done in the past, like six years. This is the first time I haven't had to take them.
0: Well, they're not for everybody. And I I say this often, when somebody comes to me, a client who's having gut issues, I never put them on a probiotic. I always put them on digestive enzymes first to actually be able to break down their food, because that's usually the issue with digestion. The, the, The key for probiotics is not about how much probiotic you're taking, it's actually the diversification of the microbiome. So different bacteria actually break down different macronutrients. So there's a specific bacteria that breaks down protein, a specific bacteria that breaks down carbs and fats. And something that's that's really interesting about it is that people who are vegan and people that eat meat have entirely different gut uh gut microbiomes. They're entirely different. So mm-hmm having a doctor who was able to identify which bacteria you needed was really beneficial because it's really hard without a test such as biome, uh, which actually tests the, the gut microbiome. It's really difficult to be able to get a good look at what's happening and mm-hmm. how to treat. We can't just throw probiotics at every problem, which is what mainstream diet culture is is doing right now, just health in general, right? Throw, it's, it's immune boosting. It has probiotics in it. It's not for everybody.
1: Yeah. It's not gonna cure your you of your problems. Like it, it might, but it might make it worse. And so I I never work with clients with probiotics. The only probiotic I will recommend is one by microbiome labs. Um, it's called Megaspore biotics and it's not specifically probiotics, but it actually gives your body what it needs to grow its own healthy flora. So it's not adding bacterial strains to your gut. It's supporting your body to develop its own good bacteria. Right. And so I like that because you don't have to go get a test done to figure out which strains of bacteria you need in your gut. It just gives you what you need and right. you don't have to go get a test to figure that out. And, right. it's, it's yeah. great.
0: and if you're eating diverse enough diet, you should be getting enough probiotics and bacteria strains anyway. And so that's why I always say digestive enzymes, HCL, which is actually what helps digest proteins and fats. So those are the two things that I usually take when I eat a meal instead Mm -hmm. of taking probiotics, because I know that I'm eating enough foods that have healthy bacteria. So it's, it all comes down to what you're doing for your health, your nutrition, and then of course, what's going on in your head. And we, you know, up next, we have our interview with Phoebe and she talks about how the stress of her first book and going on tours, would actually kind of catapulted her into her SIBO. So really excited to have her on and have all you guys listen to what she has to say about SIBO.
1: Yeah. And if you guys are looking for a resource because with SIBO there's so much unknown it's hard to find the right resources or the right information for you and her book just came out in January and I'm I'm really excited about it because honestly if I have clients come to me with SIBO I'm going to be like listen like read this book it has everything you need to know about the diet about the supplements and 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 just help you get educated so that you can communicate with your doctors better so We're excited to have her on. So Phoebe Lapine is a best-selling and award-winning food and health writer, gluten-free chef, wellness expert, culinary instructor, and Hashimoto's advocate and speaker. She shares recipes for healthy comfort food and insights about balanced lifestyle choices beyond what's on your plate. Through her own journey with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, she was able to find the middle ground between health and hedonism by making one lifestyle change one month at a time. She's also the host of the SIBO Made Simple podcast, where she equips people with information on how they can overcome their own underlying gut issues. She also just released her second book, SIBO Made Simple, this January. Yay. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And, and we are just so excited to have you and um, excited to hear more from you about your books. We both got your books. Oh okay. yeah, so We have
0: it. We Woo. have it. I read awesome. the first book too, and I absolutely Aww, loved it. So thanks. big yeah, I'm a big fan, but I think Aww. for, for any of our listeners or anyone that hasn't heard about you, you know, can you do a little background? Tell us, tell us what you have going on. Sure. Um so I'm a food woman of many trades
2: and that storyline kind of started around the same time as my my illness storyline. Um oh, wow. back when I was 22, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Um that was a long time ago now. Um <laughs> which I'm embarrassed to say, but it took me, you know, a few years since that diagnosis to kind of start using all of my well, I guess it's not training. I'm not professionally trained, but all of my skills in the kitchen to kind of tackle um, the whole autoimmune healing component. But kind of when I started to delve into that side of you know, the holistic to-do list, I kind of found myself super overwhelmed. And just as a young person in New York with like limited space and time and money, just asking myself, like, what is actually necessary here? And like, how could it be this insane laundry list that like would require me to throw out the entire contents of my apartment? (laughs) Um, So that's kind of how I landed on living and writing my last book, The Wellness Project, um, which is kind of all about how to make over your life through, you know, every single 360 element of wellness from sleep habits to obviously healing the gut, balancing your hormones, detoxing your liver, exercising right, eating right, and everything in between while actually kind of figuring out what's worth your time, money, and energy. Um, so I kind of did it in a very deliberate way, you know, by making a few changes one month at a time and kind of each of these problem areas and finding what I call healthy hedonism, which is kind of my philosophy that I've carried with me Love that. Um, throughout. <laughs> That project, and since, yeah. So, I'm <laughs> the funny thing is, I after the book came out, I was feeling great. And then a few months like into the tour, which is a very stressful process, I started to, you know, feel some, some nagging IBS things creeping back into my life. And they were a little different than before. I was like burping a lot during meals and just like was bloated, like all the time, 24 seven. And so eventually I went back to my doctor and he had me tested for SIBO, which is something that I didn't really come across a lot in my research and didn't know a ton about, and you know, spoiler, I was (laughs) diagnosed uh, with SIBO and that kind of brought me down this, this other rabbit hole. Um, And I really, you know, I thought for the, for the last book, I had learned everything there was to know about gut health and SIBO kind of just like flipped a lot of the wisdom that I had gleaned. And a lot of the experiments that I had done in the last book, like on their head, because it is such a different type of acute issue. And I ended up, you know, going, going hard on SIBO and research and, um, and creating resources for myself and for others, since there just wasn't a whole lot out there that, made sense. Um, It was a lot of contradictory stuff. And again, very overwhelming, kind of similar to how um, it was for me at the beginning with Hashimoto's. But it was also really fascinating. I feel like I, I got like a master's degree <laughs> in my digestive system. And I'm like very passionate about talking about it now because I feel like a lot of the conventional wisdom that I had learned the first round, you know, just can make an issue like SIBO worse. And it certainly was for me. I mean, I when I was going through these symptoms during my book process, I was like, like I'll just double down on everything that I know. I'll just, you know, eat more beans and fermented foods and drink more kombucha. And I was just making myself miserable. Um, so now this is like, you know, the kind of the other side of the coin. And yeah, the, my new book just came out on it. And yeah, I'm just like yeah. kind of living, living SIBO. I'm like a SIBO wiki now. Living in
0: LaVita. Yeah, SIBO, yeah. <CBO>. yeah.
1: <laughs> now it's so exciting when I find niche cookbooks like this, because as a practitioner, it's so hard when somebody comes to me and they're like, I have SIBO, what do I do? Because there's not like a playbook about this. There's not a one size fits all. And I, as soon as I started reading, I was like, Oh my God, where was this five years ago when I need that? Because I was on low FODMAP. I was, you know, doing the breath tests and the whole gambit. And, and it, it, something that made me laugh so hard in your first chapter was that you said. Uh, what to expect when you're not expecting (laughs) floating. And I'm like, every time I'm like, I'm six months pregnant. Like, that's just how I look. That's how I feel. It's so frustrating. So frustrating. That's so interesting that it came on during your first book tour, like, do you think it was kind of stress related? Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no other catalyst that I can really attribute it to. Obviously I have a lot of risk factors, Hashimoto's being one of them, but I think it was a hundred percent stress. And I think for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's stress and it's kind of the underappreciated root cause, which we can get into, but it's funny. I get, I do these Q and A's every week on my Instagram and like every week, someone's like, what happens if I can't find my Root cause, and I'm like, um, have you looked at the checklist? Like, <laughs> the are, long checklist. Got stressed? Like, <laughs> yeah. Back? Like, what? Th- There's definitely something on there that's going to resonate. <laughs> yes.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. You know, both of Mel and I are in the chronic illness world, like you are, and we've both been through it. And I think what always comes up to me when people are asking me questions is, how do I start? Like, how do I figure this out? How do I find this out? So. What do you, you know, what do you say to somebody who is like, how do I figure out if I have SIBO and, and where do they get started?
2: Yeah, so, you know, it dovetails a lot with IBS, which is a very prevalent descriptor of your issues I don't really consider it to be a diagnosis.
0: Yeah, everybody has that no matter what. If you have a yes. stomach ache, you have IBS. <laughs> yes.
2: Um so if you look at the list for SIBO, the symptoms are, you know, cover a lot more bases. They can be kind of more in the autoimmune territory. If you have leaky gut is kind of like one of your downwind side effects of SIBO and um I would say, you know, absolutely just look at a quick checklist. Of course, there're probably a lot of things That will jump out at you that will be like, Oh, maybe I have SIBO. You don't necessarily have SIBO. So don't start freaking out. Um, I'd say the kind of big differentiator from like IBS that could be attributed to like 20 other conditions. Um, and SIBO is just kind of the location and the frequency of your bloating, your cramping, your pain. Um, it does tend to happen like a bit further up, like more like pressure on your ribs versus the bloating you kind of feel around your period. And And for people with SIBO, and this is not across the board, there is kind of no like blanket statement you can make about SIBO, but you know, it tends to be that your symptoms crop up every time you eat. Like it's kind of there are enough trigger foods that, you know, it's really an issue of the bacteria reacting and competing for your food and eating your food and releasing gas um, in a place where it's not supposed to be. So the common misconception about gut health is that you know you have this digestive tract that's just like overflowing with microbes every which way when in reality the majority of your gut microbiome is in your large intestine and the small intestine has you know a small population a small ecosystem but um, the numbers are pretty small and it's it's not designed to really withstand kind of a larger buildup and so when that happens you know in this area where you're absorbing your own nutrients it can, cause a lot of issues. Um, so A, that gas gets released, that gas gas gets trapped, and it's now much further away from its natural exit ramp. So um, hence the burping, It sometimes oh. tries to get out every which way possible. And then more often, it just gets trapped there. So it right. can look like really uncomfortable distension. Um, so I would say, you know, pay attention to the location and pay attention to the frequency because that was definitely something that kind of alerted me. I was like, hmm, like I have this like pouch, like all the time, like maybe not first thing in the morning, but pretty much every other hour after that.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: For some people, they tell me that they find it frustrating that they've been working on their gut health or their, you know, leaky gut or healing their gut for- nine to 10 months. And they're like, why haven't I seen progress? And then I, I come in and remind them, Oh, you know, I've been working on mine for five or six years and I still don't <laughs> have it down. Like, it's just such a whole confusing, overwhelming world. Like yeah. what, what's the most shocking thing you've learned when it comes to like healing the gut? Oh my God. The most shocking thing.
2: Well, I mean, it is a double, I mean, it, It's hard to to nail it down because you can change things very quickly. But Mm -hmm. I think generally, Like healing takes a lot of time. And I know, like with SIBO in particular, like there's a lot of misconceptions there because people think, you know, just killing the bacteria and getting rid of, you know, that kind of acute problem is like the whole battle. When I really think like the battle is healing afterwards and like treatment and healing are not the same thing. In fact, like treatment can cause more damage. I mean, you're like basically like, Yeah, blowing yeah. up your insides and right. like breaking those bacteria into little bits. And if you have leaky gut, that's going to create like a lot of systemic inflammation potentially. And yeah, there's just kind of, it's very common to feel worse during treatment or to, you know, not have your symptoms completely, you know, resolved by the end of treatment. And, you know, while some people worry, that means they're like still bacteria there. I think large in part is just like, no, you're like, your gut is damaged. And like, you may be sensitive to certain foods for a while. Like you just have to take the time to slowly make the repairs and then slowly diversify. So you can get kind of from point A to point B. And I think that's so hard for people because again, it's like the conventional Gut advice is the exact opposite of what you do for SIBO, but you have to keep that advice in the back of your mind because it's what you want to aspire and work towards. Um, you have to kind of face your fears about that and remember that that's kind of the point B end goal. It's just may take a while to get there.
1: Yeah. And I love your mantra on healthy hedonism. Like, how, how did you kind of get to that? Like I've I love that that's so unique to you. And I guess for those that don't understand exactly what that means, like what's like kind of a short explanation.
2: Okay. So the official definition, is. (laughs) um, I like to think of it as kind of the Venn diagram where the things that nourish your body overlap with the things that feed your spirit and, you know, that could be anything from, you know, time spent with friends, or it could be something indulgent, like French fries, um, or it could be a walk in the park, you know, really just like anything that that sparks joy. And um, yeah, the things that nourish your body are a little bit more of like those to do list things. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for me, like kind of the process of doing the wellness project was in figuring out like which things are really worth it. So for the Nourish Your Body, I mean, I really had to feel the physical impact um, right. of some of these practices in order for me to justify them. Unless, of course, they fed my spirit in some way, in which case, you know, they bring you some sort of genuine enjoyment like some things do. Like for me, like I love an Epsom salt bath. I. hated dry brushing at first. Now I don't mind it so much. You know, I did not like oil pulling that did not, I I just didn't see the benefits or like couldn't get behind the actual practice, but there are so many things out there in the self-care front and, and the nourishment front that I really do think that you can kind of pick and choose your own grab
0: bag that resonates. Yeah. And I think a lot of that plays into the recipe development and cooking things that you actually enjoy. And I think getting people to get into that by telling them and letting them see that healthy food can also taste good. So I think for us, like, we definitely want to hear about how you've developed some of these recipes and like, you know, what's your favorite one in the book? Like that you, What's your go-to <laughs> that you're like, Hey everyone, this tastes really good, you know, to convert people. Oh my gosh. Um, well, there are
2: so many. The funny thing about the recipe development is that I really, you know, stuck with the greatest hits like from my site as much as I could and just tried to make them low FODMAP. Um, you know, I don't think that you have to drastically change your cooking in order to cook low FODMAP. I know a lot of people might not think the same when they first see the diet, but really I do think like making sure that you can still eat the foods that you're comfortable with and love so much is so important. You don't want to feel like you're turning your life upside down. I mean, that's just not comforting. You want to make sure you have your favorites. And honestly, there was so much of the foods on my site that were really popular that like, easily lent themselves with a few tweaks to being low FODMAP. I mean, for a lot of them, it's just taking out the the garlic and onion. And you'd be surprised, you know, with a support, with all the supporting players of, you know, spices and fresh herbs, like you really don't miss it. I honestly, I don't cook with onion and garlic very much, even though I eat them all the time. I just, it's like a laziness thing. I'm like, you know what, my food tastes really good without these things. I don't need them. Um, But yeah, in developing the recipes, I really wanted people to feel like not restricted, even though, (laughs) you know, you're on this incredibly restrictive diet. And for me, when I first saw the low FODMAP diet, it was all the kind of like medium FODMAP foods that drove me crazy. I'm like, I don't have time to think about like, if this serving of broccoli is half a cup, right. Right. So yep. I, d- I, and because of that, I just took things off the table. So it's like, I didn't eat broccoli. I didn't eat sweet potatoes. I didn't, I can't remember some of the other like medium FODMAP ones. I just, I didn't like eat avocado.
1: avocado. And- yeah.
2: Avocado. Definitely. No, an eighth of an avocado. No,
0: thank you. Uh, no, right.
2: <laughs> like what? I'm just going to keep like the other. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. It's and it's an going like, to like turn brown. Yeah. yeah. It'll be great. Freeze <laughs> it, it. Like,
2: <laughs> Yes. So I tried to troubleshoot some of those things because ultimately you do want to have as diverse a diet as possible. That's mm-hmm. like kind of the point B end goal always, um, to feed the, mi- the microbes in your large intestine. Um, and of course, like all of these vegetables that are so helpful on the no low FODMAP list also have other incredible things going for them that like a and your healing like antioxidants and nutrients. Right. right. So, Things
0: you need. Exactly.
2: So I tried to do like a lot of that um, math for people in the recipes. And um, it's like a lot of, you know, stoops and stews and stir fries and casseroles that kind of organically, you know, have a lot of different ingredients going on and allows you to, you know, kind of have a lot of things on your plate, um, in smaller quantities. So I don't know. And there are a few recipes in there, even with avocado, like we put it in a, a sauce. So, you know, you can only have, you know, a tablespoon or two that's easier math than the eighth of the avocado and
1: there's <laughs> yep. already lime juice in it. So it will keep better in the fridge. Right, right. <laughs> I remember when I was on that low FODMAP diet, I would like break off a tiny little piece of chocolate. Like it was like (laughs) cacao. You can only eat like a little bit of cacao. And it was like chocolate, my one chocolate chip for the day. Like, and it was such a treat.
2: (laughs) You were better at it than I was because I think I definitely ate chocolate.
1: (laughs) You got to live. Hedonism, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Do you ever take your photography for any of the pictures for your book or your blog? Like, have you ever messed around with that? Oh yeah. I do it all for my site. Um,
2: my book, my friend Haley, um, Hunt Davis did it. She's really talented. And I was just so happy not to have to do it all on my own, but we had (laughs) a great time. We did it super scrappy in my apartment, not in a studio. And I styled the whole
1: thing. And it was, just a very, very collaborative, fun process. There's something so special about Figuring out how to set up food styling in a small New York apartment. Like, because Amanda and I have been working on pictures for her book and like her tiny little space (laughs) with her cat. And like, we've got the whole thing. We have
0: fun with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. so fun, but backgrounds I, go a long way.
1: Oh yeah. Oh my <laughs> oh, yeah. god. That's great. <laughs> but you really are such a woman of all trades and and I want people to know about your podcast too. You know, if if people need more res- resources, Phoebe has a podcast called SIBO Made Simple. Yes. And just as a fellow podcaster, I'd love to know cuz I my favorite thing about doing this is just being able to learn and and getting to meet other people in this community. So do you have kind of a favorite memory or like something you learned throughout doing your podcast or just being a podcaster in general? Oh my gosh. I mean, that's why I started it. I had so many SIBO questions that were unanswered
2: and yeah, I could have like joined courses and forums, but I was just like, I need to go straight to the source. And that's the thing too, is, you know, it, It's such a newer diagnosis, relatively speaking. And so there's a lot that hasn't been validated um, with research yet. But, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the things that have been over the years about SIBO are things that practitioners have known for years. Like, for instance, that the herbal antibiotics work just as well as conventional antibiotics. Um, That's something that, you know, practitioners (laughs) have been, you know, troubleshooting and finding to be the case um, for a long time. And now the data is there for that. But, Um, you know, I'm like, how many other examples of, you know, new treatments are there? And there's so many fascinating things that are going on. So I don't know, I ended the podcast when my book came out, because I felt like it was just, you know, time to close the door. But I couldn't believe it. I set out to do 12 episodes just to like, be like, okay, you're diagnosed with SIBO. Here's now what here's 12 episodes to guide you through. And then like 50 episodes later, I was like, I still have more topics that <laughs> I want to cover because it dovetails with so many chronic conditions and, and issues. But, um, I guess the highlight I, at the end of each season did an ask a doctor, or ask a dietitian episode. And it was with, you know, everyone's kind of frequently asked questions. And then I, of course, like added my outstanding frequently asked questions. And I really loved doing those. Um, Dr. Allison Seebecker is kind of like the queen of SIBO. Um, And she is just so generous and lovely and was my first guest and my last guest and did a few Q and A's in between. So I just like truly Love chatting with her and I'm so grateful for her time. So I'd have to say, hanging out with Allison, chatting (laughs)
0: with her. (laughs) That's so awesome. I think it's really interesting this kind of connection between what people are being told and what is actually true. You know, so many people are have SIBO and they're getting probiotics thrown at them left and right because that's, that's what we're doing. Right. So I think the myth busting that you do is so, so important because people are overwhelmed with how much information they're getting, you know, like that's just so much. So like, what are some of those myths that you've, that you've kind of just countered in your book? Yeah.
2: I mean, there are a lot around diet, um, and the low FODMAP diet in particular, yeah. like so many just around the low FODMAP diet nothing to do with SIBO, but I think there's just a real misconception that you need to do this restrictive diet in order to, um, eliminate SIBO. And it's just not the case. Um, diet is like not considered a treatment for SIBO. It's kind of, you know, a supplemental therapy, um, to help curb, your symptoms. It's like the most immediate for most people um, way to alleviate your symptoms. But it's not actually a sign of whether or not like the killing of the bacteria is going well or not. Um, and as I mentioned before, there are a lot of people who, you know, will still have symptoms even after the bacteria are gone. Um, so I say that because, you know, so many women have food fears to begin with or a troubled yes. relationship with food, and then just kind of slapping this diet on top and making someone feel like their um outcome is so tied to how strict they are with this incredibly difficult diet. I think is just so not useful and can be really dangerous and damaging for people. So I I think the best way to approach it is finding that happy medium of just you know doing as much of the diet as you can to limit your symptoms, um, while keeping your food as diverse as possible to like keep the bacteria on your toes while you're trying to kill them. Because it also doesn't right. even do you a favor to be strict with the diet because then some bacteria may just go into hibernation and then you're not killing them.
0: Right. Right.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's also you know, something that you can do afterwards and think of as kind of like a healing tool versus, you know,
1: kind of this like strict treatment. Yeah. It's kind of a good way to get your symptoms under control while you figure out what your treatment's going to be. Like, at least in my experience, yes. I feel like it was able to clear the clouds, you know, like get rid of all the issues that were causing my life more stress. And I was really able to get down to figuring out like what was going to work for me. And something that I did appreciate about your book too, is that you mentioned that garlic is like your best friend and your worst enemy because (laughs) it really is. So it's so tough. And Allison was something that I got treated with because the allicin like helps kill that bacteria. But yep. then eating the garlic itself causes the worst symptoms you can ever imagine. <laughs> it's <a> nightmare. Yes. <laughs> friend and foe garlic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have such a like fun sense of humor in your book too, which I really appreciate because- I feel like SIBO and especially like digestive issues and chronic illness can be yeah. kind of a dark and dreary place sometimes. Yeah. And, and I was laughing out loud, like reading your book. And oh like, gosh. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, so it's funny. a really
0: good voice. Yeah. It's, it's oh, good. Thanks
2: guys.
1: Nice, um,
2: <laughs> I tried, I tried.
1: Yeah. That's all anyone can do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we kind of wanted to ask you um, like a fun question to kind of end the interview because we have a segment called Hot Goss where we talk about celebrity gossip and like TV shows shows. (laughs) because I feel like when we're flaring or whatever, all we do is just watch TV all day. Yeah. Um, But what what is like your go-to thing you're watching right now? Do you have any like favorites?
2: Well, Okay. I'm so excited for the new season of Younger to come out. I'm just yes. counting down the days. Yes. I'm too. big into celebrity gossip. I follow Demois, <laughs> and I feel like there's been a lot yes. of <laughs> plugs. A lot it's happening. Yes. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, we just went on a real tear with um, French shows. So we finished Call My Agent, which is mm. so brilliant. Highly recommend. Mm. Um, and. It's it's a talent agency. So if you like Celebrity Goss, yeah. it's like all of these famous French actors are on it and like they have the best sense of humor. Like they're all playing like nightmare versions of themselves. <laughs> and it like reminds me a little bit of Entourage in that way, but it's yeah. it's got such a better sense of humor. I don't know. It's just great. Highly recommend Um, for non like juicy, less fun, but so brilliant. Le Bureau is the other French show. um, That's like French homeland, but it's better. It's if you like that kind of show. And I know like I had to like do a lot to get my husband to like get on board with the subtitles, but you just, you
1: forget about it after a little while. That's exactly what I said when I watched Money Heist last year, which is <laughs> like one of the best things I've watched on Netflix, but they speak Spanish so quickly, but it's like <laughs> so sexy the way they say it. So I'm, I'm just like, you forget they're saying like speaking Spanish. It's crazy. You watch three <laughs> episodes and you're like, "I'm all in." It's so good.
0: Oh, but- good. I'll add that to my list.
1: Oh, it's so. <laughs> I good.
0: mean, I have to use subtitles to watch British shows, so oh, I don't totally. know if i be able to watch. Well, the funny time. thing is, is that like
2: now like the default to have the subtitles on, and on so everything. yeah. yeah I- Kinda
0: just keep it. Like I'm like slightly deaf anyway, so it helps. (laughs) I know. I've been doing that too, and now my husband is going crazy. He's like, "Why do we need to have subtitles on like Real Housewives of New York?" I'm like, "I need to see."
1: (laughs) Oh my god, the worst is when we're watching scary movies because it we still have subtitles on, and it'll say like someone's like creeping, like noises, like eerie
0: music, eerie (laughs)
1: music always. So good. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much, Phoebe. We've loved having you on. And before we get off, do you have anything you're up to or like, where can people find you if they want to hear more? Yeah. So you can
2: find me at feedmephoebe.com is where all my free recipes are. And then you can check out the book at SIBO Um, the podcast is SIBO made simple. You can find that on feed me, Phoebe. I know it's confusing. Um, <laughs> And then I have kind of a course that I do twice a year. It's actually coming up. So I'll just plug it, but it's called four weeks to wellness. I built it kind of off the back of the wellness project, um, kind of helping people troubleshoot some of the habits and find healthy hedonism for themselves. Um, in a slightly quicker format than I did for my year of health, but I've had a lot of SIBO amigos come through. There's like a full low FODMAP. Uh, meal plan tracked. So um, if anyone, you know, needs an extra helping hand, come on, join us. Yay. Awesome. Thank Thank you you so much. much. So great to be here. Thanks.
1: We're so sorry that we didn't have hot goss last week. Our lime episode kind of got carried away, but we're back and better than ever. We have so much to update you guys on. And Phoebe said it herself. She's so excited about Younger coming back. And whoa, I did not know it was coming back right now. So today we're filming on April 15th. It's a it's Thursday. Back. It's back and as it's a vengeance.
0: Yeah, it is back.
1: Four whole episodes that got released on Hulu today. And I like almost ran to go binge
0: all of them before we recorded just because I wanted to watch them. Cause I didn't right. know it was going to be back today. Right. Like... I feel like I should watch rewatch last season. I don't really remember what happened. I, I told you before that I I've been watching some recaps that have been on showing up on my Facebook or just ads that I'm getting. I honestly, I don't remember and I might have stopped watching it as you know that I do is that if something starts giving me anxiety which I think it did all the the Charles drama with Charles and what's the the guy's name that her Josh Josh all the Charles it stressed me out to the max. And I think I was just like, I have to stop, but I do want to watch the end because it's for those of
1: you guys that don't know younger is a Darren star written show who wrote sex in the city and Emily and Perry, which let's not even get into that crap of a show. I'm sorry, but it was Ah! bad. Um, so Younger was like before he got to Emily in Paris and totally like didn't know what he was doing, but
0: <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> I mean, it's not Emily in Paris. Yes. Okay, fine. We will talk about that. If it does, is it coming back for a second season ever? It I is don't know. the
1: worst. I don't but- think it was
0: that terrible, but that's also because I love terrible TV. So
1: don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't I- mind me. So- I just was so disappointed because it yeah. goes from sex in the city to, yeah. younger younger. which is fantastic and if you've never watched it you should it is the perfect like women empowerment, romance, comedy, drama, coming of age, uh-huh. New York city. It's so fun and fresh. And it's about a 40 year old woman named Liza who decides to fake her age because she's having a hard time getting a job in a publishing company when her daughter goes to college. So it's a blast because she's like faking being 26 and Hillary yeah. Duff is her coworker in the office who actually is 26. So there's all these like fun age like jokes about like social media and then she yeah. meets this like sexy tattoo artist named Josh who's 26 who like wants to start dating her cuz he thinks she's thinks young. she's 26,
0: yeah. And it is so fun and they're on their last it's, season. Yeah, it's cute. You know, I always was so drawn to it cuz I was around 26 when it came out and so I really related. Hillary Duff is in it who I feel like I grew up with and I've just watched it from the beginning. So I know that I have to end it, but there was just a major love triangle stuff going on. And I just feel like it stressed me out. I need to, I'll get back into it. But that, that so season you, wasn't great. It wasn't yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It was hard to watch, I thought, for some reason.
1: Yeah. And
0: and I think that they're going to
1: hopefully finish out a lot of storylines. And if you guys watch yeah. Bridgerton, um, Daphne uh, is in Younger. So like the main character in yes. Bridgerton, she, she plays uh, somebody that Josh dated. Um, yes. I forgot about that. Yes. So true. And I saw from the trailer, she's going to be in this final season. So, Oh, okay. okay. Welcome back girl. Now you famous. Yeah.
0: Interesting are you going to watch the four episodes or how are you, are you going to oh. just binge them? What's your plan?
1: Yeah, no, it's going to go hard. I mean, by Sunday, they're all going to be watched. I'll give a real, I'll give a, re, I'll give
0: a re I know. And I know, <laughs> and I know you're going to also harass me about watching it. Cause I know you're going to no. be like, did you, you are so, yeah." Did would you watch it again? <laughs> Only because I'm curious, not because I'm watch harassing. It. No, I know. No, I didn't mean harass. Well, I did mean harass, but I, I'm sure we'll it comes it. off that way. It's no, like, it's what are you great. doing with your time? This yeah, is which I've this? done, which is what I have done to you about Love Island, yeah. which you finally <laughs> started watching and then had a uh, complete and total internal crisis of self. I I did. No, that's
1: that's saying it exactly the way that it happened because I promised Amanda last episode that I would watch the first, like the premiere. I would watch the premiere before we filmed our second episode. So I did and I did not like it and I was devastated personally yeah. because I was like oh my god like how why didn't I like it like everybody I know yeah. likes this show and so I walked outside and like sat down with Justin and had an hour-long conversation <laughs> about like why didn't I like it like I feel like a, like everything I know is a lie and <laughs> so and then
0: yeah, you and had I had it. a long talk about it <laughs>
1: Amanda talked me off the ledge. She's like, yeah, it's okay. Like you, you don't have to like it, but also season one kind of sucks and it gets it better in season two. So I watched the first episode of season two
0: and I really did enjoy it more. Yes. I, I yes. They find their footing, you know, the first season, like anything else. And you said it best. If we watched bachelor first season, we would be like, what the hell are they doing? And mm-hmm. I do it. You know, I go back and rewatch shows from. 2008 you know watching housewives and things like that and i'm like oh my god like what this is terrible um so they really were trying to find their footing it they don't really get the premise of the game because it is sort of a game until until the second season in the first season they sort of hang out just have sex with each other and smoke cigs all the time it's (laughs) very very it's it's interesting and the first episode of every season is a little wonky because it's, it's a little, I don't really know what the word for it is, but they pick each other based on appearance. And yeah. so I do feel like it's a little icky in that way. And so I kind of don't really pay attention to the first episode of Little Island UK anyway, mm-hmm. until the couples are made and then you get to know them so anyway, I'm really, really proud and happy for you that you got past this really troubling time in your, in you. your life. Yeah. It was
1: definitely a conflicting moment in yeah, my existence so. and I, I made it through. <laughs> I made
0: you made it through, made the
1: the through which, is, <laughs> which is amazing. So, But something that yeah. I did watch that I got absolutely obsessed with quickly mm-hmm. with sweet magnolias. Yes. And so you good. turned me on to that show and I had known about it forever. Like I knew mm-hmm. that it was on Netflix. It came out last May and yep. It just looked a little soapy for me. Like when I first saw the trailer, I was like, that's a little too cheesy. Like it just yeah, it came off like that in the trailer. But I was so wrong. It was definitely not what I thought it was gonna be. And it it was not cheesy. There were a lot of serious storylines, so many good, like love triangles and drama. Yeah. But my favorite part about it was just the friendship between the three women because. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can personally identify with that, that like, especially when you're dealing with hard times, you just like want to sit around with your girlfriends, like drinking
0: margaritas and eating chips and guac, which is what they do every episode. Yes. Which is amazing. It's oh. very Southern small town. And I could see why you would think that. And also as a recommendation coming for me who watches every single Hallmark Christmas movie, mm-hmm. I don't, I I get the cheese. I acknowledge the cheese. I don't necessarily love it because I am a cynical New Yorker, but I I do like the small town mm-hmm. shows. Like I, I think because I'm from New York, like I don't get a lot of that small town. So I really like it. And that is what it is. But as you've said to me, the acting is really good. So yes. they really bring the story to life. It's not the storylines and the acting are not cheesy. They really are really good. And so I think that that's why there's such a great following behind it now.
1: Yeah, cuz they're filming season 2 right now, which is exciting mm-hmm. for me cuz I won't have to wait a whole year to get season 2 like yes. you did. Um but my favorite storyline is between the main character's two sons and her best friend's daughter. So they've all like grown up together and there's these two brothers, one is older and younger that the younger brother kind of has a crush on like mm-hmm. the f- her friend's daughter, who's a teenager with them. And they're all like friends from when they were babies. And so yeah. the little brother like doesn't know how to tell her he likes her but then she has a crush on the older brother yes and it's scandalous I feel like it's funny because it kind of reminded me of of us growing up like as siblings because my little brother always like had his friends over and like my little sister had her friends over and there was always like boys and girls of the same age right, like, right. Uh, running around our houses with like it's just, I don't know. It was yeah. really it's, good vibes. The whole show It was like, oh my God. Like there were so many things to like about it.
0: Yeah. It's bright. I think that's what I said to you. Like it gives you like a sunny vibe. It does have a pretty intense twist at the end of the season. So it's definitely not all rainbows and butterflies, which I think I appreciate too, because it does have yeah. a little darkness in it. Yeah. But I mean, she's going through a divorce. Like the yes. storyline is
1: that she's going through a divorce with right. her husband Right. Who cheated on her
0: and got his mistress pregnant. Yes. And Chris Klein p- plays her husband or ex-husband on the show. And I would say watch it if for nothing else than to hear how bad Chris Klein's Southern accent is. <laughs> it, was it is so bad. Horrible. It was so bad. But she starts to kind of, Pick things up with a super hot and a just oh god amazing baseball coach who used to be a professional baseball player. So there's a lot of nice things to look at, oh, yes. a lot of laughs to be had. So yeah, definitely recommend. I I watched it twice because I wanted to watch it while Mel was watching it, so I rewatched it. <laughs> and yeah, it's a great one. So I definitely highly recommend before season two comes out that you guys give that a whirl. Yeah, and Curveball, Jamie Lynn Spears is in it. Yes. Um, who's Britney true. Spears' little sister.
1: And I don't think you watch this show, but I was around when Zoe 101 was really popular on Nickelodeon. Mm, okay. And she played Zoe. She was like the main character. And so I know her from that when she was like a little oh, tiny baby child. Okay. And so it cracks me up to see her in this because I'm like, oh my God, like you haven't, she hasn't been in anything in like 20 years. Like, yeah. why now? but it's because it's a great show and it's, it's has a really good message and, and is all around just an easy watch. So highly recommend, but if you're in for like a really hard watch, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Demi Lovato's docu-series on YouTube called Dancing with the Devil came out a couple of weeks ago. And I watched it because I am a huge fan of hers and I've followed her storyline since she was a Disney kid when she was in camp rock. And I saw her in tour multiple times, like with the Jonas brothers and she was always Mm -hmm. in that world. And I actually met her when she was like 15 because she went on this tour to like malls around the country. Yeah. When she was coming out with her first album. All right. Okay.
0: Judgment. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Robin sparkles. (laughs) No, that really was what it was. Let's go to the mall. Oh my God. But
1: <laughs> we waited 14 hours to meet her because Jeez. we showed up. It, I mean, we had nothing better to do. It was summer vacation. I was like a freshman in high school or something like, and we, my mom like drove us to the mall and like dropped us off. And we sat there for like 12 hours waiting for Demi to get there, but she was delayed. And the, like all of her bodyguards kept saying like, she's running late. There's something wrong, blah, blah, blah. Like she's not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And so we were all like, Oh no, poor Demi, she's sick. And like, we ended up being there half the day until she showed up and just, she looked awful.
0: She and drugged. Yes. Um, So
1: a month later they announced that like she was in, she was an addict. They announced that and that she was going to rehab like a month after we met her. And so that was when she was younger. And so I've just always had a soft spot for Demi and She's been through a lot. And in 2018, she had an overdose that almost killed her. Mm -hmm. And she goes into the nitty gritty details in full honesty about what happened. And it was really intense, Mm -hmm. but honestly, like really interesting to watch. And I was really proud of her in being that vulnerable because there were so many rumors about the whole thing. And she, she finally got to like speak her truth and get that out there because her new album is pretty much Drew Barrymore actually interviewed her this past week and explained that every song feels like a page of her diary because it's more of a story than it is just like an album of music. So her new music is so good, but it's heavy. And the documentary kind of explains what all the music is about. Um, Right and I highly recommend it because honestly, anyone that's willing to speak their truth about any kind of illness they're dealing with Mm -hmm. is so brave. And, and yeah, like she's a pop star and she makes all this money. Like why should we pity her when she has all this availability to, to get this like high quality treatment. But at the end of the day, like you're struggling with something that isn't your fault you're struggling with. Right. right? Like, it's
0: a mental and emotional thing. And she, first of all, her her voice is phenomenal. Um I just I I love her too. And she's gone through the drug addiction stuff, but she's also gone through a lot of health and weight issues. So she's gone up and down a lot with her weight. She's struggled with eating disorders and all different kinds of things. Her weight has been up, her weight has been down. She's taken punches left and right for all of these different things that she's gone through over the years. So I Kudos to her for telling her story, and and I do support it. Like I think that it's she's doing it to genuinely help other people. It's not yes. to just look for attention.
1: It's very much to help other people, and and it explains in an unbiased way what happened and how she got help and how she's coping today. And I think that just explaining that it's a daily practice she has to continue to keep up with this isn't just like something that's you go to rehab and you're done like it's a daily thing and she's taking quarantine to really focus on herself and like her meditations and and her you know mindset work and I think watching anybody step out of their comfort zone and talk about the hard times they've been through is going to help inspire somebody to get help to do the same Yeah, I highly recommend because it was really interesting. And and she kind of explains, I guess, if you're talking to somebody or helping support somebody that's going through addiction or mental health issues about what she needs and what helps her. And that's personally something I've never known how to cope with or how to support somebody through. And it was really interesting hearing her side of it and like what she needs from her friends and her family the best way to support her. And the most revealing thing I learned from the documentary is that she actually was misdiagnosed with bipolar when she was in her teens. And she talks about how that affected her in her twenties and like getting, trying to figure out if that's something she really deals with or if that was just an excuse for her addiction. And, and so, All in all, it was a very interesting and educational watch. And and I I recommend if you can handle it. There's lots of trigger warnings ahead of time. But if you listen to her music, it's definitely worth it to watch that. We just wanted to thank Phoebe for being a guest on our podcast. We really enjoyed having her. And until next episode, guys, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and comment on Apple Music. And we cannot wait to talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Stay healthy.